Welcome back to This Week in Film. It's the weekly podcast where we get together, talk about the movies we've seen over the past seven days, and then we talk about them. My name's Nick Pinotto. I'm joined as always by Midwest. I got lost by Midwest Matt Lauer. Matt, how's it going? It's going all right, Nick. I think you put a comma in there where you meant to put an and. Oh, is that you what off. happened? Something yeah. really threw me because I go on autopilot where I'm saying that thing, and then yeah. all of a sudden I realized I didn't know where I was. I mean, you can roll the tape back, but I'm pretty sure you said "get together, comma talk about what we've seen over the past seven days," and then you were like, "and now I have an and, and I don't know what to do with it." Yeah, that just sounds like pure nonsense. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get to see next week in Phil. When you put this on uh, the internet. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I assume yep. you have seen some movies. I have. Oh, boy. Tell me what they are. All right. The first one is <laughs> called Tell Me Who I Am. And that was one you recommended. Oh, then yeah, I, that's right. Comma. Then I saw Official Secrets. Comma. <laughs> then I saw Ginger Snaps. Comma. Then I saw oh, The Nightingale. Yeah, I had a headache yesterday, so I just watched a lot of movies. That's it. Just for... Oh, I thought you were going to keep going. Oh, it's funny you should say that Ginger Snaps, because Ginger Snaps 2 came across my feed the other day, and I was like, oh, I never saw the first one of those. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Well, the movie that I saw... Oh, yeah, I Nick, only saw. Hey, wait, you probably saw movies, too. What'd you see? I saw a movie, movie. and I watched the movie It Follows. Hey. I was trying to throw you off with It. I know. I was surprised for a moment there. I didn't think you planned on seeing It. I really didn't think you planned on seeing It Follows because I kept telling you to. (laughs) (laughs) But since you have seen many more movies, movies, why don't you begin? Why don't I begin? What should I start with here? Tell you what, I'm going to start with Ginger Snaps. Because okay. I feel like it's the one I have the least to say about. Um, so you used to be a big fan of this movie, didn't you? I did used to be a big fan of this movie. And I'm not not a fan of it anymore. I still like it. Okay. But I can't say that I have tons to say about it. I learned about this movie in a film class in college where we were talking about film theory. And I know that then I had a much deeper read on it because we were talking a lot about themes and implications and stuff. They're still there. If you watch this movie, there's a lot of allegorical material. It's it's actually just a movie at face value about two sisters and one of them being bitten by a werewolf and then subsequently going through some transformations. But it's also pretty clear that she's also going through other transformations. Cue the music from Big Mouth because she's hitting puberty. Oh. A bit late, as her mom says, she's three years behind. I think she's still within the window of normalcy, but the mom's like, you're supposed to have your period three years ago. She's 16. Some people are late bloomers. Yeah, so she She's blooming, but she's also Ugh. turning into... No, that's not the right response, Nick. I didn't care for the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm going to keep going. So yeah, so she gets bitten by a werewolf and there's... A lot to be said here about like the relationship between the two sisters. They're both pretty emo, but the one who gets bitten is who's Ginger, by the way, and Ooh. she's gonna snap. But she and her sister's name is I want to say it's Bridget. Uh, she calls her B throughout the whole movie. I really wish her name was Vanilla Wafer, so that they could both be cookies. Yes. Ah, but then how's she gonna how's she gonna snap? Oh, so she wafers and the other one snaps. Yeah. Can wafer be a verb? I don't know. It sounds like a good. <laughs> but anyway, Ginger's getting 
getting given her a lot of attitude and stuff and she's being noticed a lot by guys and Bridget is not really being noticed yet. She's a year younger. She's in the same classes and stuff because she skipped a year in school, but she kind of looks like at face value, like more of a, what do you call it? Shrinking violet. She's, she's sort of like a wallflower background, not as much attitude as her older sister. And in a way, they both kind of get to act out different parts of being a young woman and getting attention and not getting attention that you might want and being objectified and going through all this. My body's changing and how people are responding to me is changing. So there is still stuff you know, in the movie, that's a little deeper than just a werewolf story, but it's also pretty good as just a werewolf story, just kind of seeing her transform and what's weird aside from like the sexuality stuff, just kind of weird about starting to turn into a werewolf and the acting's pretty good. It's, it's not excellent, but it's good enough. The girls have sort of a charm to them. The, the humor's kind of charming. And when it comes to the practical, uh, to the special effects, they're all pretty practical effects. So that's kind of nice, too. I remember turning to Karina and going, like, this werewolf doesn't exactly, like, look great. The designs, uh, I think the design's actually pretty cool, but it's also very fake looking, but it, it still is very effective. Like, there's one point where it's kind of in a doorway trying to get through, and it's like, man, I feel like that thing's touching me right now. So, I'd say, like, on the selling points of this movie are the relationships between the girls, kind of the premise of the movie all together, the sister watching her sister change. They're both pretty much the main characters, but I think you see a bit more of it from the perspective of the shyer sister and all the little observations of pubescent behavior from the girls and the teenagers in the movie to other girls the boys the downside might be that some of the dialogue's pretty wonky there's a lot of slang and it feels like an older person trying to make up slang for teenagers rather than just trying to find out what the actual slang is and what's an appropriate amount of it. It's just too much. Yeah. That sounds pretty wizard to me. Ah, you, you get what I'm saying then? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. But it's not so much that it's irritating. And the movie's obviously Canadian. You can hear the Canadian accents. And it's got a little bit of, a, I think it was a 2001, I think, movie that feels like it's a little bit more mid-90s. And I think for some Americans, that might be kind of like fitting for a Canadian movie. So... I'm sorry to all our Canadian listeners. I don't mean any insult by that, if we have any. Um, or even if we don't. I'm not trying to insult anybody. By apologizing, is, you're speaking their language. Yes. Uh, sorry. <laughs> what I mean is, it's got kind of a friendly feel to it, the entire movie, even though there's some pretty gruesome violence. But it's a fun time. Even at the end of it, like I, I asked Karina, I was like, what did you think of it? And she was like, I liked it. It was cute. <laughs> I was like, well... Considering some of the stuff we just saw in the last few minutes, I suppose the charm is real and it's not just me. So I'd recommend this with no hesitation, whether you like really horrific werewolf movies or if you like more like, what's the word, young adult kind of movies. Check it out. Okay. I did have a question. Yeah. Which is, you said that she's getting a lot of attention from guys. Yes. But she's a, a late bloomer. Now, I, as the father of three young ladies, I don't know how women work. Uh -huh. And so do their bodies develop before the other stuff happens? 
Or does that all happen at the same time? You mean like, do they get boobs before they start menstruating? Yeah. I don't know. I, I would imagine it's different from person to person, but I've never actually looked into whether or not these traits happen in a specific order. So I'm not sure. Definitely in this movie, Ginger is, she's got a pretty womanly physique before she's supposed to get her period. Okay. So maybe like the day or two before she gets, quote unquote, the curse. There's a dude. So where, the, the werewolf? Well, that's kind of the joke. You know, it's like she's got a curse, but whenever anyone's talking about it, they're talking about period stuff, but she's turning into a werewolf. But anyway, there's a dude on the bleachers kind of watching the girls play field hockey and stuff. And he's like, oh yeah, look at her. She's got breasts. And then day later, she's like, oh shit, I got my period. In fact, I'm pretty sure when she says it, she goes, oh man, I got the curse. <laughs> So, yeah. So, it, it, at least in her life, her body's changed shape first. Oh, right. Yeah. The other girl, I guess, you know, thinking about it, you probably don't see much of her body. They definitely accentuate the older sister's body to kind of show that, her sex appeal. The younger sister spends most of the movie with her head down and one arm holding the other like she's cold and constantly in hoodies. Trying to cover up her body. Yeah, or just kind of disappear. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if they were trying to say, like, she's not as developed as her sister. Well, that's that's definitely implied. But they're both yeah. probably over 18 as far as actresses go, so they're trying to hide it. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know that they are. I, w I wouldn't be surprised if the older sister is, if they were to even say she was 17, I wouldn't be too surprised. The younger sister, I, I don't know. You know who she looks kind of like? She looks kind of like the woman from, what's that movie where the woman has sex with the fish man? Oh, the, um, the Shape of Water. There you go. Yeah, she looks a bit like her. And so she's got kind of an older looking face, but I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was only like 50 when she was in the movie. But I don't know. Okay. Well, this was fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, if you want to... <laughs> Yeah, if you want to like yell at us and correct us, please do because we're we're both guys and we are aware of that. So you know you you can correct us all all you all you want. Feel, we'll we'll take it seriously. Feel free. Yeah, we'll we'll hear you out. Uh, Tell us about when you got the curse. I I don't feel free. I don't to really do that please too, if you please want. Don't I don't want to read that. I don't want to read that at all. <laughs> but if well, you feel I'm like if you on. feel like no, it's no, no, no. Stop something talking. you need I'm to share, then no, I'll send them to Matt. <laughs> so. All right, so I also watched... Um, oh, God, hold God, on. Let's go back a step. Else. Yeah. Okay. Would you... Let's go back 10 hold steps, on. Nick. I have another hilarious joke. Oh, God. Yeah, this one's going to be great. Oh. So would you say that this Hori... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's off to a great start. <laughs> would you say that this horror movie is a bit of a period piece? Oh. Uh... Great one. Yeah. Hold on. Everyone's still laughing. Okay, go ahead. You tell me when they're done. They're done. Um, they're done. Yeah, they are. <laughs> well, then I will go on to a movie called Official Secrets. And this is a movie starring Kira Knightley and with a somewhat smaller part by Ray Fiennes and maybe maybe about as much screen time by uh, Matt Smith, who was one of the Doctor Who's. And this is a movie about a woman who worked for the GCHQ, that's the Government Communications Headquarters in the UK, translating information. And she discovers that there is... Oh, yeah, this is based on a true story. I was literally just going to ask that. Yeah. And she is translating a memo and discovers that within this memo, there's it's a, it's a memo sent from... America asking for the United Kingdom 
government to spy on people to find information that could be used to support going to war. I may have gotten a detail off a little bit there, but I'm pretty sure that's a good summary of what's in that. Why did she have to translate it? That's a good question. Is it in Uh, code and she has to decode it or? No, 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 no. And she does other things in the position she's in. And it's like giving information to, she's more or less like a, she is a, they refer to her as a spy at multiple points in time. She confirms that. She's like, yeah, I I am a spy, but my job isn't to, she's, she's realizing basically this is lying. This is all meant to lie to people to say we should go to war with Iraq. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, my job is not to lie and to support an illegal war. And I feel like I need to, it actually is my job here to protect people and to tell the truth. So she's, she's more or less like a whistleblower. Oh, and those are the enemies of the state, as we all know. Yeah. You know, depending on whose, whose hands the state is in, that's, that's about right. Well, I guess even sometimes when it's in the uh, liberal leader's hands, it gets treated that way too. Point being, she leaks this information and throughout the movie, you get a bit of an equal balance between the personal side for her, but you see a lot of the journalistic side too, and looking into sources and trying to make decisions about what to print and when to print it. And you see a bit of the legal side too. That's where Ray Fiennes comes in. And it's really good at kind of taking you through a little journey with each of these aspects of this decision-making and seeing how they interact with each other. And, you know, it raises good questions about like what to sacrifice. Mrs. Gunn, she's married to a guy who was an immigrant. And so there's pressure there to stay out of trouble because it might cause trouble for him. And there's a fair amount of her not quite being supported by him, but also you can see the reason for it. You know, both of them are nervous about him getting in trouble. So there's a lot here about like making decisions and standing by what you really believe is right, knowing that it could cost you a lot. And I'd say the movie does a really good job all around. The acting in it, with the exception of a guy that sits next to Kira Knightley's character at work who keeps talking to her. And each time he delivers a line, it just seems a little strange. Other than that, the acting's really, really good. There's not a ton that's really super intense moments of acting, but it's all very real feeling. It's a bit like, have you seen Spotlight? I haven't, no. Oh, uh, well, it's a bit like that. I think there's one moment in Spotlight where uh, where Mark Ruffalo is like lashing out and it's fine. His performance is great, but it seems a little almost out of place because it's like, wow, people are just shouting now. And this movie's kind of like that where there's maybe one moment where Kira Knightley shouts a bit. Yeah, you know, like you're completely right. It doesn't feel out of place. It just feels like finally. But the rest of the movie is very, very steadily one note, which normally for me would be a bit of a complaint. I like rising tension and action and stuff and feeling those dynamics throughout the movie. But this movie manages to kind of play one note of tension the whole time. And it's still really, really good. If you like dramas at all, and if you like real stories, and this is a based on a true story and it feels real the whole time. Maybe that's one reason I like that sort of steady note is that it doesn't feel like it's being sensationalized. And it's not a story I knew. I knew a lot of the aftermath of it from kind of paying attention to politics over the last 10 years or so, but I didn't know this woman's story. And it was interesting and it's a good story to tell. I really admire the woman who did leak this information. And there are other people within the movie too, who it's like, if that played out that way, that's really kind of cool on them. And then other people were like, man, that's shitty. So yeah, official secrets. 
definitely check it out. Okay. While you were talking about it, it made uh-huh. me think of the... Did you ever get around to seeing Zero Dark Thirty? I have not seen that one yet. I've been meaning to, and it's on my list, but I haven't gotten around to it. Uh, that movie does a real good job of showing you people of action stuck in a bureaucracy. Mm, yeah. Uh, these decisions need to be made like right now, but they just can't make them because mm-hmm. the right people have to be talked to and they're not going to be available for some time. But the pivot of the movie is that basically like the plot of the movie is the assassination of a uh, or the hunting down of Osama bin Laden. Yeah. And the movie really pivots on there's this house somewhere in Pakistan and there's something weird about it and they need to go in and they in order to do it, they need author authorization and it takes forever for this authorization to come down and they do this montage to just show you like the passage of time and it's just really well done where you're just like come on because you're supposed to be along with jessica chastain in that movie so you're you're feeling very impatient about everything whereas from a human beings point of view if you're going to send navy seals or, or special forces into a location where they're going to end up killing a bunch of people make sure you've got the right place and that everything's in place before you do it but it's it's that weird dichotomy where you're i think i think i follow you it's like something's running out there's like a ticking clock times seems like it's running out or finances are running out or your opportunities running out but you also have reason to be careful and take your time so that you don't screw everything up right yeah that's the feeling i got when you were discussing your movie is that does that apply in this situation the situation the point of there being a ticking clock is there because these lies are going to be put out there soon and so she's like man i need to get this information out there before this stuff is used because what these lies are being used for is to get un to support the war and go like yeah we are behind this and you now have pretty much immunity from any sort of criticism because you waited for the un to to support you. So she's trying to get the lies out before that, or to get the, the truth out before that, get the lies where people can see them and know what they are. But at the same time, I think what else these movies might have in common is just that there's this constant sort of tension there. What you describe sounds to me like a frustrating experience where you're like, oh, God, give her the information. And it's you're sort of tense and frustrated that it's not going the way it should. And this movie definitely feels that way. You definitely okay. like if you're looking to get frustrated, <laughs> watch this movie. Or on the other hand, if you're not looking to get frustrated, but you want to see this movie be forewarned, it's very frustrating. Okay. And it won't All say right. anything about how it resolves, but just throughout the whole time, it's it's pretty you might even want to take a break here or there just to get a little breathing room because it is so consistent. Okay. Yeah. So but you know, I know you and I are both Kira Knightley fans, and I'd say this is probably... She's not on screen the whole time or anything, but in terms of her performance when she is, it's probably the best I've seen her. Okay. I really liked her in Atonement. I, it took me forever to watch Atonement. Mm-hmm. And then when I did, I was like, why did I wait so long to watch this? I love this movie. See, I saw that one in the um, theater, and I, I wasn't really into it that much, but that was a long time ago, and maybe want to check that one out again. Did you ever see The Jacket? No. Oh, the one with, uh, what's his Adrian name? Adrian Brody. Yeah. Yeah, check that out sometime. Really? I they thought prepared. that was like supposed to be a bad horror movie or something. I don't think there are any horror elements to it at all. Maybe There's I'm some... just thinking of the... Yeah. Wait, is she in Domino? Yes. Is that a horror movie? No, but it was a terrible movie. I'm getting them all confused. She was in like 20 movies in three years. Yeah, the jacket has some fantastical elements to it. Oh, wait, in the jacket, don't they... 
put on a jacket and then gets slid in a drawer. It's a straight jacket. Yeah. And there's sort of like a portal almost like there's some stuff that you sort of get transferred for, from one kind of reality to another a little bit. But oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah. No, I, I, if you get a chance, check that one out. I, I really liked it a lot. Okay. So cool. So do you know anything about the Nightingale? Well, I get it confused. There were two movies that came out that were named after birds in the past year. There was The Nightingale and The Goldfinch. And one of these movies I really wanted to see, and it was about a painting. Ah, is that what this one is? That must be The Goldfinch. <laughs> okay, then. No, I know nothing about The Nightingale. Yeah, this has, has nothing to do with any paintings. So this is a movie from the writer and director of The Babadook. Oh. Um, and you've seen that, right? No, I haven't. Oh, geez. Okay, so the Babadooks, uh, I'm just going to talk about the tone a bit. It's a horror movie that's very much about depression, and it's very depressing. <laughs> it's it's a very heavy movie, and it's got some pretty creepy stuff going on in it, too. This movie's very heavy as well. Is the th- Babadook good? I think the Babadook's pretty divisive. Some people really like it, and some people hate it. Personally, I thought it was pretty good. If you're into horror movies, I would say it's it's definitely worth checking out. But it's like maybe in the it, it's what's it called now? High horror or something where it's like uh oh elevated horror. So things like The Witch and Hereditary, it, it kind of falls into that realm where it's not all about jump scares and stuff like that. It's more allegorical to human experiences like depression or control or disenfranchisement and stuff like that. So yeah, if if you if you just like scary horror, jump scare type stuff, I'd say it might not be for you. But if you like kind of heady, slow, deep burns, then check out the Babadook and. Okay. This isn't a horror movie, but I would say sort of the same thing if you're into some pretty heavy stuff. This movie is about, I think it's like mid-1820s Tasmania, and it's it's about the colonization of Australia. And so, I mean, it's that's where it takes place. And it is largely about that. You see a lot in this movie about how the Aborigines were treated when the British basically came in and took all their land. And so it's sort of told through the eyes, though, of a young Irish woman who is a prisoner there or was a prisoner and she served her time, but there's a British lieutenant who's kind of obsessed with her and he abuses his power over her. It seems like she's gotten out of prison with some sort of agreement to like work off fines or something for him. And he's kind of treating her as though he rescued her from something and he's looking for a promotion. And so he's kind of got his own insecurities and stuff. And he's got men that work for him who are all a bunch of assholes. And he's like a super huge asshole. He just seems to be a bit smarter about it. Okay. So there are a couple things that he has paid for or allowed. And it's like, I let you marry your husband. I let you have a kid. I let you buy a horse. And and all I ask of you is that you let me rape you. So... Seems fair. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, no, it's it terrible. Doesn't, doesn't and, seem fair. She should get more. Nah. I understand what you're uh, saying. She should she should get a lot more for the price. I see uh, where you're going. So so where does where should the listeners send their hate mail? <laughs> to you? 
<laughs> it's your, no. Because you're, you're saying it. No. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so this lieutenant, the lieutenant assaults her and harms her family. And she wants to confront him. And I'm leaving out some details here because I don't want to just say everything that happens in the movie. Is this something that happens regularly or he's like when you get out we're gonna do this and she's like okay no she backs out no it's implied that he's been doing this for quite some time and he's been i don't you know it's it's actually a little confusing i think given some of the interactions they have right before he assaults her at the beginning she's like saying oh no i can't do that and it's like is this the first time he's propositioned her or the first time he's assaulted her or what. And and it could be that he's done it before. It could be that he has just been kind of controlling of her for a long time. And now he's kind of lost. I don't know. You wouldn't call it patience, I don't think. But he it's, it's brutal. And what happens to her pretty early on in the movie, this is a bit of a long movie. I think it's, uh, it's over two hours, maybe two hours and 15 minutes. And it's really interesting because she goes to th- this guy, leaves to go to another post to get promoted and she chases after him for like a reckoning to like kill him to to hold him accountable and being on her side is kind of an uncomfortable place to be not because she's not in the right with that because she totally is but because she hires an aborigines man to be her quote-unquote boy and lead her to this other town that he's going to and she treats him like garbage and this movie's really good at kind of fleshing out all the characters so you can understand their motivations whether or not you like them and be in a place of feeling conflicted i think the aborigines man that's with her is probably the easiest to like character and there's even some stuff in there where in some discussion he's kind of acknowledging we're not all perfect people or anything either but you white people suck, <laughs> you know, like, cause you've just come in and taken everything from us. And he calls her out on a lot of stuff. And it's really an interesting relationship that the two of them have. And it's nothing that you've never seen in a movie before, but it's done really, really well. And I think part of that is the actors and part of it is the slow pace that the the writer's taking. In, in terms of there being any characters who are more caricatures, there's only one really. And it's one of the guys that works for the lieutenant who's, he's not quite mustache twirling, but he's just so consistently a stupid asshole that it's a it's a little bit like okay he he doesn't have a whole lot of flesh but the movie has a lot of poignant moments it's a really really beautiful movie as far as like how it's shot there are a lot of moments in it where it's very poignant as to like how the people are being treated and in in terms of like dialogue and interaction there's a lot to point out to you how jacked up the system is where where you know like people can be treated the way they are when colonizers want to just come in and take everything So highlights of this are definitely the acting and the relationships. Again, having a lot of sense of like what's motivating the characters. There's a lot of realness in terms of responses that people have to one another. In a lot of movies, you'd see people hold their tongue and you'd be like, oh man, there's stuff that they want to say right now. And in this movie, pretty much everyone says something. There's a moment where even though she's been treating this guy like garbage, he's 
kind of snapping at her and she's like, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Here's where I come from. And she kind of snaps back and it's pretty interesting. It's like, oh, I've been kind of not hating on her because I've been on her side as far as tracking this guy down goes, but I not kind of thought about some of the background stuff, you know, like exactly where she might have come from. I just saw terrible shit happen to her and so I was on her side, but then like real pissed at her when she's like treating this guy badly. And, you know, it's still true that she shouldn't. But once she kind of snaps back, it's like, oh, man, good point. And when he's snapping and when a couple other people snap at each other, you're like, man, even when you're not in the position of the person being put in their place, you can still feel it. Oh, man, way to clap back there and really lay down the truth. As far as the bad goes in this movie, I mean, as far as listeners planning to watch it or not, if you don't like intense movies with some really disturbing moments, maybe don't check it out. But as far as like criticisms go, I honestly can't say I have any. I mean, the, the most I could come up with is that the one guy who works for the lieutenant is pretty one dimensional. But other than that, this movie's really good. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. That sounds cool. Definitely put that on my radar. For the next 20 years. <laughs> hey, you're about to knock one off your list. That's true. Yeah. Or at least uh, my list for you. Have you anything else for the Nightingale? No, I don't. I don't. Other than to say it's great. Well, you're saying how you were immediately on her side. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's the main character. We're on, we're on her side. Okay, great. And then I'm like, oh, wait, wasn't she in prison in Australia or something for something? What did she, what did she do to have to go to prison? And then, and then I was thinking, oh, maybe she's not a good person at all. But that doesn't excuse terribleness that happens to her right. after that. So... That's it. It's interesting to think about. I, I'd like to see this movie. Yeah. You know, and come to think of it, I don't think you ever find out what she was a prisoner for. I think you can probably assume some kind of theft, some kind of low, low crime, like stealing. Oh, that's lame. <laughs> okay. Well, at least you get a, at least you get a free trip to Australia out of it. <laughs> All right, so how about It Follows? A a movie that should demand that you be uh, quite cognizant of sexuality and stuff. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. It Follows from 2014. Oh, my. Written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. It stars Micah Monroe and some other people. My wife recognized the Paul guy, Keir Gilchrist. Is that her, her friend? Yeah, like the, the guy friend who's always at their house. Mm. She said he was in something, but I don't remember what she said. Some show, I think. It Follows tells the story of basically the transmission of sexual disease. <laughs> I don't really know how else to... I guess I could be a little more literal with it. From what I gather from the movie is that a long time ago, some sort of terrible sexual crime was done to someone. And that created a curse that gets passed on to the next person you have sex with. The rules are a little shaky. I'm not really clear on the rules at all. I'm just going to um, dive in for a second and say, I please. I never got that impression that it had anything to do with... I, I never thought there was actually any hint or indication as to how it all started or that there was anything sexual involved with like how it began. But I think oh, I the do. rules are that it passes on to whoever you have sex with. And once they're dead, then it comes... Once it kills them, then it comes after you. Right. Which seems mean. Um, I made the the sexual thing up just to try and explain it to myself. Oh, like, okay, why, I see. why does this exist? Because mm-hmm. whenever they show it, the thing that comes after you, it's always, if it isn't someone she knows, it's someone who's in a state of, 
I don't know how else to describe it, but sexual distress. Like the one person. Oh, um. So spoiler alert, uh, if we didn't say that, uh, Matt oh, yeah. and I have both seen this and he's been trying to get me to watch it for like a year and a half, probably longer. Yes, much um, longer. Spoiler alert. The thing that she finds in the kitchen, like the woman or girl, she's had her, this was the most like visceral of them, but she, like she's had her front teeth knocked out. She's, her clothes are kind of tore off of her. She's wetting herself and she, she just has like this look about her where, did you ever see Stir of Echoes? Oh yeah, once. I don't remember it. There's a mentally challenged girl who gets raped in that movie. Spoiler alert for Stir of Echoes. It's awesome. You should check. I love Stir of Echoes. I think it's great. And terrible things happen to this girl. And it really reminded me of the girl that they show in the kitchen where they're like her teeth knocked out and she's all banged up. Like she's been through some terrible, whoever this girl is, has been through something horrible. And she's whatever spirit is the main girl is seeing is, is going to take it out on her. That's why I came up with this backstory that the movie doesn't really give you, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. All right. So the, the plot of the movie is this girl's dating this guy. He's infected with the sexually transmitted ghost. And if he has sex with someone else, it'll go to her. So he has sex with this girl and then tells her, by the way, this ghost is going to kill you. So sleep with somebody else. And then he like takes off. And then the movie starts. And for like the first 20 minutes or so of the movie or or maybe even longer than that, we're trying to find out who this guy is, or that's one of the subplots is to find who this guy is so they can get some more information other than when he traumatized her. Right. When we find him and he's like, look, I don't really have any more information for you. Please leave because the ghost is still after me for some reason, which I didn't get. I guess because if the ghost kills her while she's at his house, she'll just turn around and grab him by the throat, which is why he wants her to get away from him. Yeah. I mean, the Um, more the more she can have sex with other people and they can have sex with other people, the further it gets from him. Right. The one thing that as far as the rules of the movie go is why did he? Well, I guess he has to tell her. Because if he doesn't tell her, she'll get killed and then she'll come back after him. Right. Yeah. So you if have he to... doesn't tell her, he's just banking on the idea that she's going to have sex before it kills her, which if she doesn't know what's going on, could just be the same day. Right. I guess that's why. So like he bangs her in the car in the nondescript time period this movie takes place in. It's it so takes awesome. Place... <laughs> it, it's, I found it kind of annoying. Did you? Because, yeah. Well, because the opening sequence takes place in modern times in like 2012 times or whenever the movie was made. And then the rest of the movie takes place in the future of 1979. It just didn't really make sense to me. I spent too much time trying to figure out the time period and also trying to figure out when in the year this was because you got people wearing winter coats and the person next to them is wearing shorts. And the movie just spends a whole lot of time trying to confuse you about everything, which... I kind of felt was a little too much, a little too distracting. I was like, I don't feel like knowing it's fall because all the trees are, it's clearly autumn. Why are we spending so much time trying to make me think maybe it's summer and they're all, this is just trendy. I don't know. I just felt it uh, distracting. Okay. See, for me, it was more just like neutralized everything. So it's like, this could take place anywhere, anytime. You don't know if it's Canada or America or the East Coast or the West Coast or the 70s or the future. Some point where I was like, I guess I did give it thought while I was watching the movie because I remember when the girl pulled out like a compact that's also a phone or like a Kindle or something. I was like, oh, yeah, that's futuristic. Yeah. And then they're watching these old ass TVs 
with all the old cars. And I'm like, what is going on? I spent way too much time trying to figure out the time period. And I don't know. Maybe they just couldn't get a copy of that book. They couldn't actually show a copy. So they're like, just pretend your makeup <laughs> compact is the book. Because that's really the only future tech there is. No, I'm pretty sure it's intentional to, to not be identifiable by time period. Like, you know, like some Quentin Tarantino movies and stuff. And honestly, I think it would be cool to have this become a thing in horror movies so they don't always have to explain why people don't have phones. You just be like, hmm, it feels contemporary, but it seems like maybe it's before phones. Of course, you wouldn't be able to have them have a phone compact, but yeah, so it goes. Well, that's why I found that very confusing because if they just set everything in the 70s, I would have been like, okay, this is why we're in the 70s and this is why all these kids are hanging out the way they do. But it I just see- seems like a, it seems like a very yesteryear kind of a movie, but especially with, with so all the smoking. The movie being about the male gaze and the position that women are in, in all sorts of relationships, I don't think they want that to be limited to a time period. I don't think they want you to be able to watch and go, you know what? That girl's being treated like an object, but that wouldn't happen anymore because that's this is way back in the 70s or something. I guess. Which I don't know why you wouldn't just have it set in contemporary times unless, I mean, maybe part of the point is this has always been the case and it still is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what setting it in contemporary times would set it back at all other than literally what you just said but also there's just that one scene where she tries to call the guy across the street and he she gets the answering machine whereas if he had a phone he probably would have answered his phone because he would have seen it was her and he probably would have answered it maybe i don't know that's the only thing i can think of because everything else just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense including the abandoned prison with the fully functioning pool underneath it i couldn't figure (laughs) any of that stuff out at all i didn't realize Uh, that was a prison I don't know if it was. It just it just had a prison feel to it. And actually, I think the movie takes place near Detroit. It's totally Detroit. Yeah, huh. it's absolutely okay. Detroit because they even reference Eight Mile at one point. And right, the only right, thing right, I know, right. the only reason I know about Eight Mile is because Eminem is from Detroit. Well, maybe that they filmed this because it feels like a very inexpensive film, mm-hmm. and they were in Detroit, so they probably got one for people being in Detroit. I think they just give you money for showing up anymore, just to keep people there, and. Too, they probably got a bunch of tax breaks to f- film there. It has a very Detroit feel about it, where they're like calling out specific locations, which I only notice in movies where they got tax breaks. Like that Shazam movie. Uh-huh. There's no reason it should take place in Philadelphia, and then they just keep name dropping places. And I'm like, oh, tax breaks. Do you have mm-hmm. to? They're, it's probably a legal thing. So, so pass it on by having sex with somebody. Yes. I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, the easiest joke to make is that it's a STD, which stands for sexually transmitted demon. (laughs) So... I just made that up just now. I thought that was pretty good. It would have been good if you congratulate yourself. I don't know. I I loved the line where the guy's like explaining the rules to her. And he says the line, it doesn't move fast, but it's not dumb. And I went, wow, that's a fantastic line. I really like that. And Uh it sets the tone for the whole movie Mm -hmm. or the whole rest of the movie, at least with as far as the antagonist goes, the demon or whatever it is. Yeah. And it just walks. Now, sometimes it moves faster than other times, which I didn't appreciate. I wanted a more of a Michael Myers kind of, I'm going to walk this fast all the time 
And no matter what, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. There's sometimes where the actress that's it is much faster or walking slower. So I found that a little annoying. And sometimes it just straight up runs, which I didn't like. I, I didn't care for some of the inconsistencies. That one part where it shows up for the first time where it's in her kitchen and she sees the girl with her teeth knocked out and then she runs upstairs and locks the door and then she lets her friends in. And then the fourth girl or the third girl knocks on the door and she's like, let me in. And so they let her in. And then the monster like runs in behind her kind of a thing and it's and it's in like a it looks like frankenstein is an old Where man like running into the room six. yeah and again that's another guy who looks like he's been through some sort of horrible sexual trauma because he's like in his underwear and t-shirts so i feel like everyone that they show is that's the idea that they're going for was sexual trauma hmm. At least that's what I got out of it. The guy tells her sometimes it'll look like someone you love or someone you know. And then later in the movie, when they're at the beach or the, the lake or whatever, and they're in that shed and she's like shooting the gun and then the thing's banging on the door and it kicks a hole in the door. Mm -hmm. And then the kid from Gummo shows up and, sh and puts his head in the door and he's screaming at her. That was really out of character. I feel like that was just there for because we're in a horror movie. I didn't appreciate that because if it could just crawl through the hole in the wall, why doesn't it just do that all the time? But I guess it smashes windows too. So yeah, it see, finds I, I felt pretty consistently like it was sort of unstoppable. I guess I just didn't like the horror screaming gummo kid okay. where you just wanted to stay silent the whole time. Yeah. Where mm -hmm. I, th I feel like they just did that because it was scary. I mean, it was effective, but it, it seemed out of character for the monster. I get you. Yeah. Cause when I think of that movie, I think of the thing moving silently the whole time so yeah i guess that does yeah that's an outlier but but that's like one of the few complaints that i have about it i do like like i said how he says it moves slow but it's not dumb but everything that she does is stupid <laughs> like she's the, <laughs> she's so dumb if i was in her shoes at least for the first couple of days before the weird shit started happening i would probably do everything that she did where she basically treats the whole thing like a rape and an assault and all that stuff and then they show the cops working her case and they investigate it and they give her some information here and there and what's not really clear is how much time passes because how much time does the first guy get from when he banged some girl at a party to when he bangs the main girl because it seems like they've gone on a few dates over a bunch of nights where it seems like the ghost gives her three days to figure everything out before it shows up and i'm just not clear about all that and then on top of that later when it's implied that she bangs all those dudes on the boat uh -huh. does the ghost just go and kill the boat guys right away or does she not tell the boat guys hey a ghost is gonna come kill you um peace out because if you don't yeah, i don't think she tells them and so they did just get killed right away. They don't even have like a day. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. And maybe some of it has to do with it. It's not that far away when she does that. So maybe it's close enough to just get to them. Because um, well, he goes over like, two towns in order to do it, right? Yeah, I was gonna say when he has sex with her in the where in the car and then shows it to her in that abandoned building. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how far away they're supposed to be. He may have driven her a long way, and then it just takes it a long time to get there. And I, I think. 
think some of the time stuff, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like some of that's purposeful too, because I think one of the, it's a very atmospheric movie. And, and one of the things that I think is kind of built into the atmosphere is you don't know when it's going to come. You don't have a sense of that. Right. And then there are even other things in the movie. The dude across the street that she has sex with, it seems at first blush that he has gotten away with not having it show up for days on end. But I think there's one shot in the movie that where he's talking with a couple other girls and it's implied that he's having sex with one of them or maybe both of them. And so he hasn't believed it at all. He just had sex with her because she'd finally have sex with him. But then he went and had sex with somebody else. He ends up not believing it because he's like, look, I, I had sex with her the other day and I'm good. And then boom, after a couple of days, it probably killed whoever he had sex with. That was, I think he was talking to them at the hospital or something. And then it catches up with him. And then there it is. Hmm. Interesting. See, I read the whole thing with him as, at least until the, she shows up to get him, as because he willingly went into the whole thing, mm-hmm. that it breaks the curse. That's why he's not affected, because he's trying to take it from her. And the ghost is like, that's not how it works, buddy. You got to trick <laughs> him into it. It can't be consensual. Like, that's part of it is that you, but that's not the case at all. It, it doesn't care who you are or what you've done. It's it'll it's just once once it's got you, it's got you. If a demon is chasing you, one, keep a three foot stick around you at all times, <laughs> because if it catches up to you, just keep it back with the stick. Just kind of just say, nope, <laughs> you stay back. <laughs> That's oh, what I wanted her to do the whole time. Was just, just say nope, just poke it away. Yeah, just stay back. Well, they and do just establish like they do establish that it's really strong too, which I thought was one of the coolest things when when they're on the beach and it comes mm-hmm. walking up and you can see it and then you can't see it and it's like yanking someone around by the hair or like throwing a chair at them or something. Yeah, it yeah. grabbed the main girl by their hair and her friend sees her hair go up in the air. Yeah. And then it starts throwing her around and then the friend swings the chair and like you said, it hits it and it breaks the chair and then it karate kicks him into the next dimension (laughs) and all, and all he's got is like a little scratch on his tummy. I liked that they did that because then it proves to everyone, but the, the guy across the street who went to go use the bathroom or something, I forget where he went. He's like, just not there. So everyone else is, this thing is totally real. She is not crazy because up until that point. They're just kind of humoring her. Yeah, you get that sense of they're like, oh, well, we don't know here, but you know, well, we love her, so we'll go along. Yeah. I also thought it was neat that she was able to shoot it with the gun, like when, when it's coming up to that shed and she shoots it in the neck and it like falls down, but then it just gets up and I was uh-huh. like, okay, I like this. That's yeah. kind of cool. Nothing's going to stop it. But later they're still trying to shoot it. Yeah, that's true. I was like, you already tried this. It doesn't. But I guess that guy's like, I didn't see it happen. But the end sequence when they bring all the electrical equipment to the pool, I thought was stupid. Because one, the thing doesn't seem like it wants to go in the water. I thought that's what they were going to try to establish. When she gets to the beach to bang the guys on the boat, I thought she was going to be on the boat and see the thing on the shore and then put something together where, oh, if I'm in water, it won't come into water for some reason. And then she just strands herself somewhere. That's what I thought was going to happen but then she just goes into the pool and the plan is to electrocute herself and the ghost which no i think she was trying to get out of the pool while it was still in there so they could electrocute it oh 
Well, she should have been much closer to the edge. But if, if she was close to the edge, then it could have entered from that side. So I think the center of the pool is where you want to start out. But then once it gets in, you want to get the hell out as fast as you can. I guess. I it, had to chew through this because I, I, I thought the scene was a little bit goofy or strange, I, too. I loved two parts of it. One, that he just started throwing everything at her. Uh-huh. Two, two, that he was hitting her with stuff. Like, when he hits her in the face with that iron, I was dying. I thought that was so funny. Because earlier, Clarify. while we were watching... <laughs> because, <laughs> because earlier, <laughs> I realized, as I said that, that I hadn't told this part, is that when they find the dude's house yeah. that he was, like, squatting in or whatever, and there's traps all over the place or, like, alarms on all the windows, I said to Jill, I was, oh, we're going to have to home alone this bitch in order to, in order to stop it. And so then later... She gets hit in the face with an iron like Daniel Stern in Home Alone. And so that had me laughing. Hilarious. But I also like that she was getting hit in the head with stuff. The movie feels very rated R and a PG-13 movie would have had it cutting away before the TV hits her in the face and all that stuff. But then I also liked that when the electrical stuff started hitting the water, it just kind of electrocutes her for a second, but then it doesn't hurt her. And the guy yells, it's not working. And the girl's like, oh, good, I guess. I'm glad that our plan failed because now they've got nothing, <laughs> but they didn't electrocute their friend in the pool. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought that was funny. The end when he shoots it in the head or whatever, that was dumb. I just feel like they didn't really know how to wrap it up. So they're just like, all right, we'll shoot it in the head. And then for, I don't know, for no reason, she bangs the friend. And then the only thing I can think of after that part is when they're walking down the street together, they're just kind of enjoying an afternoon walking down the street and you can see like someone walking up behind them and you're like, oh, is that, is that it? Is that, is it coming up for them? And then the movie just ends and you're like, yeah. oh man. Cause one, I kind of wanted more, but then two, I was like, oh, that's a great place to end it because yeah. the movie's out of gas and we're not going to solve the crime of the movie. It's not like the ring where she's going to try to find the body in the well in order to stop the curse. Right. She there's, just, there's not a resolution. She yeah. has sex with her friend and then he goes and has sex with a prostitute. And it's oh, like, see, Whoop. I think it's implied that he doesn't have sex with the prostitute. He goes to do it, and then he's, I can't do this because this lady is skanky. Oh, no, I think he does it. Oh, I totally think he doesn't. Yeah, I think he does it, and at the end of the movie, they're going, okay, it's probably far enough away to relax. But then as a viewer, you're like, wait a minute. It's kind of like the end of The Graduate, where they're like, oh, wait, now there's the whole rest of this. And as the viewer, we're like, yeah, they're never going to be completely comfortable because anybody who's walking around might still be the thing catching up right well that's the other thing is now that you've both had sex with each other you can't be sure where it is because as long as someone's with you who you haven't slept with you can be like hey do you see that blonde person over there yeah okay good why but like now it's just the two of them and they're both gonna see the same thing or they're both going to see a person but not but assume that it's not the monster yeah i mean i Uh, guess as long as as long as they're with each other and they can both confirm that they see someone then you're like all right cool i guess we're fine and then for her Um, if, if all of a sudden her friend is dead she can go oh damn I'm next. Right. Which is dumb for them to be together because if he gets it, she's going to be right there. I thought the movie was delightful 
it had some scary moments. At one point, my wife was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Let's turn it off. Oh, uh, which that. which is always a good... Well, no, no. That means it's a good horror movie. Oh, good she job. Watched it. It she watched the whole thing. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I thought it was delightful and ambiguous enough that we're able to each have different... Come to different conclusions about everything and it's still effective. So, hey, Matt, good recommendation. Thanks. Well, and, and you know, when it comes to stories with messages about sexuality and stuff, I feel like It Follows is, it's kind of like a more advanced ginger snaps kind of thing. Because there's every male in the movie has some way of looking at her that's objectifying. Even the kids next door who are like trying to sneak up on the roof and look through the window or, or whatever they're doing where they're trying oh, to Oh yeah, that on. whole storyline I did not care for because one, it was never resolved in any way. Yeah, and I think and it's then, just there for allegory purposes. I think it's just yeah. there to say, like even her friend who's like, well, you know, like you shouldn't have had sex with that guy who just objectifies you and it's like you totally see her in an idealized way that doesn't actually see her as a full person either. She is your girl next door prototype girlfriend in your head and maybe whatever insecurities he has for not being liked by girls or something and and it's 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 just sort of like man you're not really seeing her as a full person because she's just a function to you you know she fits some sort of role in your mind and everybody in the movie has that for her where the one guy just wants to sleep with her because she's hot and lives across the street the other guy who starts the movie off is like i just need to completely for some sort of function have sex with this girl and there's i don't know if there's anybody in the movie maybe some of the other female characters i'm not sure who get a chance to see her more as a person and and i think that's largely the the point is that it's about the positions that women are put in in society that are objectified or functionalized rather than humanized and i think one thing that's awesome about the movie is it does that but it's also just a great horror movie that's true i didn't see what you saw where everyone's objectifying her i just saw it as Here's a bunch of horny teenagers. The guy who's always at her house clearly is there. He's like friends with the sister, but he is really there because he wants, because he thinks at some point, if he just says the right thing, the blonde girl will fall in love with him and they'll be happily ever after. And then the minute he finds out that if she has sex with someone, the curse will be taken off of her. He's like, bingo, there's my in. Because one, I don't totally believe this. And two, sure, I'll take a bullet for you. Because my wife and I were talking about it where we were like, imagine you're some 17 year old dude and some girl that you are in love with comes up to you and says, hey, um, there's a monster trying to kill me. But if I have sex with you, he'll try to kill you and not me. And I imagine 99 out of 100 times the guy would be like, "Okay, let's do it. Because why not? Well, I mean, in terms of why not, it'd be because you're going to get killed. But like, I, I think, but, like, but, I, but, but I don't, don't but I don't her. think that you're, I don't, I don't think that your point is, is wrong. I just don't think that it disagrees. I think that that's, that's the point here is that, he, like you said, he's this guy who's pining after her and thinking that there's some way to just get her to love him rather than going like, Hey, you know what? She's a person and she's got her own feelings and if she's not interested in me that's not something i'm just supposed to change about her by doing the right thing or getting some sort of in if i respect her opinion and what she wants for herself she's not interested in me you know well, that's not how and it that's works okay. when you're 17 but well that's what i th- that, again that's I I think you're making my point because I think that's what oh, the movie's okay. saying is that this is how things are by nature of society or or I don't know maybe even nature nature but that 
that's the position the women are in, that it's showing wherever she goes, she's being seen by guys from the perspective of their needs, not the perspective of she's her own person. They're viewing her in terms of what they mean for for them. And for him, it's his dream girl, and he's supposed to get her because he loves her. For the guy across the street, it's because it's a lay he really wants to get. For these kids across the street, it's showing like even at a young age, you're already an object. Even at a young age, the men, even though they're like eight or whatever, are already they already have learned to see you as an object. You're the girl that they can stare at because they want to see boobies and not a real person who probably doesn't want to be spied on when she's getting out of the shower. Hmm. That scene was uncomfortable where she's yes. like standing in the bathroom because I thought she was pregnant, which made the whole movie very uncomfortable for me because she's like standing there looking at herself. And I was like, oh God, is she pregnant and going to have to fight this monster? What was the one dude trying to do? Like he smashes her window with that dodgeball and then he's just hiding. I didn't. I think maybe trying to every... get her to come over to the window so they can see her. I guess. I don't know. Those gummo kids were, I didn't, I didn't care for that. I Um, I still haven't and never will see gummo. Well, now you have to because I've seen it follow. So now you have to watch a movie that I suggest. (laughs) I I did. I did. I saw the one that we're going to talk about next. No, that doesn't count. (laughs) Uh, I'm not watching gummo. Uh, then you have to watch Boyka. Better than Gummo, sure. Yeah, that's true. The other thing that I don't, like, I get it, but I don't really understand why he went about it the way he did is the guy at the beginning, the Hugh guy or whatever his real name is, he takes the time to really romance this girl. And then in her post-coital mind wandering, he just, why didn't he just rape her in the first place? Because that's just what it turns into. Like, why take the time to trick her into something magical when you could have just grabbed her off the street? Because clearly that's what you did in your head is you're like this one and then i'm gonna romance her and then after it's over i'm gonna drug her and tie her up and show her this thing when he could have just done that from the beginning like why well at face value i mean if you want to like chew on this together i'd say like at at face value it might be like quote unquote it's not rape but i think if you think about it more in in these sort of allegory terms it might be a bit like how people can justify things as though it's not assault as though it's not rape so like for instance getting someone drunk and then convincing yourself that they could consent you know there's some degree of self delusion there that's you're lying to yourself but you're trying to convince yourself it's okay and he's doing that by wooing her and i mean i think in the end she go like well i wish that I had not done that with you. And it's not really true consent. And I don't know if maybe it's not quite that allegorical. And maybe the the writer was like, I don't want to make this guy seem too unlikable. And somehow this is not as upsetting as, as her being sexually assaulted in a direct violent sort of way. Yeah. But I could, I could see either argument. I'd be interested in if the director were some person who wanted to come on the podcast to talk about it, <laughs> asking them that question. Thanks for coming on the show. We have one question for you. Was, <laughs> was this it? No. Okay. Thanks for stopping by. Good. Talk. David is his name. I think his name's David something. I don't know. But I need to keep an eye out for David Robert. This Mitchell. guy's done. Cause I, 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 he has a few follow-ups. I looked up. He had a movie come out just last year called under the silver lake, which was the last thing he did after it follows. Huh. According to IMDB, it's a 6.5, which is pretty good. Hmm. This movie got like a 6.8. So take that for what it was, for what it is. I think it's much higher than 6.8. I'm surprised it's not higher. Yeah. I feel like everyone I know who's seen it, I I don't know anybody who really doesn't like it. And most people 
find it really interesting. I think it probably has a lower score because it makes people uncomfortable and because they don't solve the mystery. And some of the things that I've learned in my time Mm -hmm. is that people don't like ambiguous. So if a story is ambiguous, that's a negative right there. If you don't solve the crime in a movie, that's a negative. I guess those two, those are your two things for this movie. Where like it's a mystery, but there's no there's no resolution to it at all. The movie just kind of ends. Yeah, you're getting the opposite of closure. Yeah, so people will be like, "Well, I didn't. We didn't find out why the ghost exists." Uh, one star. How are they? I mean, I, right. I mean, I heard people complaining recently about the movie Joker, where they didn't like it because it's just so dark. Yeah, and I'm like, and I'm like, well, that's not a reason to not like it. I mean, you can not like a movie for whatever reason you want, but I don't feel like that's a valid criticism. Yeah, it's not a good criticism. It, it certainly could impact whether or not you enjoy it. You know, right? I, uh, that's a great thing you just said. As I interrupt you, just because you <laughs> di- just because you don't enjoy something doesn't mean it's not good. Right? Like art that makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's bad art. Right. I I can't think of any art that makes me uncomfortable, but watching this movie, I was uncomfortable a lot. I feel like that was the goal of it. And watching Joker, the goal of it is to make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot Um, of stuff that's making you uncomfortable is there so that you'll think about why you're uncomfortable. Yeah. But at the same time, I liked it. So I'm not really unbiased in my judging of other people's opinions of it. Well, saying you don't like it because it's dark is fine, but saying it's bad because it's dark isn't valid. Correct. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. That's, like the other day we trying were trying to, to pick out a movie and Karina was like, I don't want to watch anything sad. And I'm like, fair enough. I don't feel like watching anything sad either, but not like, well, like yeah, that's... sad movies are bad. In fact, that's one thing that's kind of frustrating as a movie lover is there are times where I'm like, I really want to watch a good movie, but a lot of the good movies are going to be sad. And if I'm not feeling like watching something sad, that's cutting out a lot of my options. Absolutely. That's why I watch movies like Boyka and Betrayed <laughs> because I don't want to have to, I, I'm like, I want to see something new, but I don't want to have to think about it. So you end up watching something mindless and sometimes you hit a home run with Boyka and Betrayed. And sometimes you think you're going to watch something mindless, but you get a stroke of genius like Velocipaster. I can't believe it. <laughs> if you haven't watched Velocipaster yet, go watch it. We're just going to recommend that every week from now on. And another thing about The Last Jedi is... (laughs) I had so many more things to say after that. We'll just have to do a follow-up episode when we watch them all together. And by them all, I mean all but the uh, episodes one through three. Okay. Yeah. That'll be a fun day. (laughs) We'll just just record eight separate commentary tracks that are each nine hours long. All right, Matt. Yes. You watched yet another movie this week. Yeah. Before doing that, I'm going to go off on a real short tangent and share a bit of trivia. So I'm going to call this Trivia Tangent. Oh, I don't have a theme song for that. Ah, okay. I was waiting. Yeah, so... uh, Tangent! (laughs) (laughs) Samara Samara Weaving, who was in Ready or Not, is Hugo Weaving's niece. Oh. That's it. That's, That's Trivia Corner. Play us out, Nick. Tangent! Okay, so... <laughs> when you said Samara, isn't Samara the name of the girl from The Ring? I do not know. I feel like it's something like that. And so I thought you were going to start talking about The Ring, and nope. I was going to be like, I don't care about The Ring. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, Nick reviewed a movie called Tell Me Who I Am, and then I watched it. Oh, right. And so now we were going to spoil this, and 
I don't even know. Doesn't it feel uncomfortable saying spoil this? Yeah, it does feel a little weird. Yeah. So basically, a a little quick review. There are two twin brothers, which is the right amount of twins, if you ask me. (laughs) One of them is in a car accident. So four people. (laughs) These two, damn it, these twin brothers. I think I said the same thing when I was talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. In their, I I think in in their teens, one of them's in a car accident and has complete total amnesia, doesn't know who he is, doesn't remember any of his autobiography. And so he's just counting on his brother to tell him about his life. And he's picking up on some strange things in his family, but he can't figure out what's going on in all these moments that are awkward or odd and all these like rules in the house about like not going in certain rooms and stuff like that. Eventually his parents die and then they go into the house to go through things. And he discovers evidence in terms of pictures of their mother having sexually assaulted them. And then I guess the rest of the movie is really about the brother who's making the movie and who has the information, who doesn't have amnesia, sharing with his brother and with the film audience what had happened. And it raises some interesting questions. He's in a position when his brother asks him to tell him about his life and to tell him about this kind of dark segment of his life, the brother who never lost any memories in a position of going, I can spare him these experiences, the current him, and by not telling him this. And he says he he admits that there's an amount of avoidance there of, I don't want to relive this. But on the front end, as he's trying to process what he should or shouldn't do, he also shares, I think pretty honestly, that he feels like it's kind of his responsibility to protect his brother, to not have him experience all that stuff, quote unquote, again, but like for him, it would be like the first time now to prevent him needing to even experience it through being told that it happened. And I thought it was kind of an interesting question because I think in, in my own life, I, I most of the experiences I've had, even if the I look at the more unpleasant ones, I wouldn't want to forget them. But on the other hand, if someone were to go like, okay, well, you know what? You don't remember them and I can make these terrible things happen to you. And I don't think that's exactly how this would play out, but it's how it feels for the guy. When he listens to this sort of recording telling him all the stuff that happens, is he going to re-experience it all? Or is he just going to have a really painful movie play out in his mind being told that these things happened? But the brother with the information is feeling like if I tell him what happened, he's just going to experience the whole thing which probably feels very real for him because he does remember it all. And while he's talking about it, can see all the imagery and re-experience it and feel what he felt at the time and all that sort of stuff. And taking that into consideration, I was like, you know, in my own life, if someone were to say, I'm going to take memories from you and save you that trauma or whatever, I'd be like, don't. Uh, You know, that's part of my life. But if it wasn't part of my life and they were like, hey, I can tell you about some terrible things that from where you are right now never happened. But once I tell you them, it's going to be as though they did happen. You know, you're going to find out they happened. Mm-hmm. Do you want that information or not? It's, it kind of changes things a bit. I don't know that I would say I don't want to know because I probably would be so curious that I would be like, yeah, tell me no matter what it is. But but I don't know that for sure. And this is like an interesting way to look at it. And if it were someone I loved and they're like, please tell me this stuff. And I were to feel like that's traumatizing them. Would I be willing to do it? You know, would I be okay with that? Would I do that? And really felt for 
both of the guys, but I would have thought from the description of things, I would have thought of the brother with the amnesia as the one in the the terrible position. Clearly they both are, but I really ended up feeling for the guy with the memories a lot. Being in that position of his brother basically begging him to tell him stuff and being in the position of going, ugh, I might share this stuff with you and just end up really hurting you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. When the one brother confronts him and he's like, did this shit happen? And all the brother says is yes. And he's like, and I'm not saying anything else about it. Mm-hmm. That is a hell of a carrot to dangle in front of somebody. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's almost cruel to do that. You can't go back now. Like it's, it's out there. Also, the not telling him, I think makes, if you tell somebody, hey, you've, you were abused as a child and they're like, what? but I'm not going to tell you how or what, then their mind is just going to run and go through every possible experience that you think you could go through. And then at the same time, some it's kind of, it's, I guess it's kind of similar to when you black out from drinking too much, please don't get me wrong. I'm not equating sexual assault with just a a fun night because that's all I'm talking about is just like when you drink too much one night and then the next day you're like, I don't remember anything about last night. And then you have to ask somebody what happened and you just kind of take what they tell you as, okay, well, I guess that's what happened. Well, that sounds like it was a fun time and I'm going to throw up now. But as far as memory loss, those are like really the only real examples of that that I can put myself through. But like if I was in a situation like that where we went out one night and I got blackout drunk and the next morning I was like, hey, what what happened last night? And you're like, I'm not going to tell you. That would bother me so much more than if you told me everything that happened and it was and it was like, oh, yeah, and you were in prison for like three hours and then we had to go to the hospital and all this like crazy. Like if it was the craziest night ever and you were just like, I'm not going to tell you, my mind would race to like every possible conclusion. So like I can totally understand where both guys are coming from. Oh, yeah. With their thing. And it's quite a moral dilemma. Like, I I don't know how I I feel like I would do the same thing that the the brother with memories would do. Like, I feel like I couldn't do that to somebody. But at the same time, you're also putting them through hell, making them imagine all these horrible things that happened to them. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. it, no matter what you do, you're screwed. Yeah. It, it, it certainly feels like a big catch 22. And I get what you're saying too, in terms of the position, the guy's in it, it, without knowing, knowing that something happened, but not knowing the details, he's in a position where he could run through endless scenarios in his mind of like worst case scenarios and, and just like possibilities. And for some people that might be true, I think it was kind of surprising or at least different from that when the guy with the amnesia does finally listen to the tape and he's like, fuck, dude, I figured it was bad, but I had no idea it was that bad. Yeah. Jesus. In that moment, you can tell that like this guy hasn't totally processed what he has been told. He's still kind of thinking about it, but it, it hasn't really. All he has is the other guy's experiences and he's not thinking about his own yet. And then and then like as the thing is wrapping up, you can see his mind going like, oh, I also did all these things like my mom forced me to do all these things with all these people and this mind is like opening up kind of a thing where and the brother is horrified for what he for what he's done to him you know i don't intend to watch this again but if i if i were to i'd be interested about that point because if that plays out that way i kind of overlooked it and read that sort of like wow this was a lot worse than i thought more as 
Well, maybe you're saying this, but but I didn't pick up on like that. He then started to think more about himself, but like mostly as a statement saying, you know, I thought I was asking a lot of you to tell me what was going on. But since you had to relive it while you were telling it to me or recording it, I'm realizing now just how much I was asking of you. And I think he sort of apologizes in a way for like the position that his brother was in because he's like, man, I've been kind of frustrated with you this whole time for not telling me. And now I'm realizing how traumatic it is for you to share these memories that you actually remember. And wow, dude, I almost like, I'm sorry, I made you go through that. And, and I thought that was, that was kind of interesting too, that at the end, I don't know how much it does hurt the guy with amnesia to hear that these things happened. I don't know exactly what that would be like to go, huh? Well, here I am fine, even though all this stuff happened and maybe I'm still fine, but just kind of changing how I see my parents, or if that's undeniably ground shaking in terms of how you feel. But it's, I don't know. I I kind of, I kind of walked away from the documentary thinking that sharing all this stuff and processing it was more painful for the brother who remembers it than the brother who is finding out about it. But I, I, but again, I don't mean that to in any way overlook how painful and weird of a position. Oh yeah. I'm not trying to diminish one person's emotional response to something like both both people are going through a lot but i feel like the amnesia brother is just being told something Mm -hmm. and if at the end of the video the brother just goes psych none of that happened what then (laughs) well that would that would be a very different movie it would Um, be a very different movie but the the brother for i mean it'd be a, a completely different thing but like do you think in the amnesia guy, like that's going through his head at some point is like, Oh, this is all just a gag. That's the, that's what I really liked about this movie is that the guy who doesn't know anything is just, just has to trust everyone around him that what they're telling them is true. Cause it's not like the brother, like, I guess the brother lied to him, but like, didn't lie to him, but like, he didn't tell him the whole truth. And so like everything that he knows is built around that. So it's, it's very, it's such a weird moral quandary to yeah. be in. I think you, you might have listened to Radio Lab back then. There, there was an episode, and I know I've heard this talked about in a, a couple other places too, but about using drugs to elicit memories and then sort of erase them. Mm-hmm. And like that raises a lot of similar or related questions of is that right or wrong? Or what are the implications in terms of how you understand who you are and the story of yourself after the car accident that I was in a couple, I guess like a year and a half later, as it was like senior year working at Dippin' Dots, I, w- I was talking with someone that I had dated during the years that I don't remember. And she, w- she, she made some sort of mention of this whole like dramatic storyline, <laughs> like a, a B plot in my own life that I didn't know about. She's like, don't you remember when we went through this whole thing? And like, I was, you know, having some stuff go on with me and this other person. And I was like, huh. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I sure don't. And it was stuff that as it was described, I'm like, wow, that must have sucked to be me at that time. And like at the same time, I was like, but it, but it just sounded like a story about someone else that I happened to be one of the leads in. And, and just like, it, it was strange. And I, I don't expect that it's the same thing at all to hear your parent sexually abused you and stuff. But from my own experiences, I know it's just, it was a different thing than I probably would have imagined it to be if I weren't in my own shoes mm-hmm. hearing this story and going like, oh, 
Oh, so this is what it's like to to find out that something months long happened and you just don't even know about it. Huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I turned into Owen Wilson for a moment. And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, you had said something the first time when you were talking about this movie that I kind of, if I understood you right, I, I picked up on it in the movie too, where you were, you, I think you had said you were looking at it with a real grain of salt because the, the guy making the movie, the movie's about a guy who's in the movie. And there were certain interactions where I was like, that's a bit different than I would have pictured it. But then again, what should something like this look like? You know, a conversation where they're talking about stuff that's super upsetting, but 50 years old, you know, or or 30 years ago. So I just kind of paused there and went like, okay, you know, like... I don't know what this, I'm sure it would look different with different people. So I'm okay with that. But I did have a bit of a criticism for the way the film was shot. And it's not that it's wrong. It's just, I feel like it was such a polished, the film quality was so polished. The way it looks, just like with the aesthetics and the the, in the in the film quality and stuff, it makes it feel polished and more, I think the look of it makes it feel more like it's a performance than it is. That's terrific that's a great way to explain or to to describe that that's fantastic it does it feels it uh the way it's made makes it feel scripted almost mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think that's, it's like the that's film really quality good. where we're a bit jankier you know i just it would feel more authentic and less produced yeah well i mean it is in a way most of it is scripted i mean they they wrote a book about this they've probably talked about it endlessly while promoting the book and then probably before the book before they got the idea to write the book like all this stuff like they, i'm sure that they've made their I, I don't know what they do but i'm sure a good portion of their career is this story because it's pretty fascinating and i can see them like giving talks all over the place and and stuff like that because they work together like one of the things that i thought was a little confusing was i thought they were estranged yeah and and they're not like no not at all it's just like this thing that's living between them for 30 years where Mm -hmm. we're like they they work together like they literally work in the in an office together like i don't know what their what their business is but that's what they do they work together and they just don't ever talk about this despite the one brother's insistence on knowing the other thing that i thought was a little confusing or or i don't know if it's confusing but like interesting is the mom is a total piece of shit of course but she gets like brain cancer isn't that how she dies like she gets some sort of cancer yeah i think so that's right but like it's not sudden that she dies so she knows that it's coming and she does nothing to cover up anything in the house that's one of the things that she likes is that they're gonna find out about it and she's into it and that really creeped me out like that really bothered me Mm -hmm. Uh, like one of the things when he wakes up in the hospital and he doesn't remember anybody and the mom is real upset that he doesn't remember her one of the things i thought is oh his brain did this on purpose he cut all this stuff out because it's horrible and his mom at first i'm like oh his mom is upset because my my child doesn't remember me but two oh the jig is up we're gonna get caught he's gonna run his mouth but then he doesn't and then he like establishes his relationship with her because he thinks she's just a normal mom and then i think she's really into that which really bothers me Mm. where she's just waiting this whole time for him to find everything and for the other brother to find everything because she knows that the other brother still knows everything and they're all just pretending that it didn't happen and she's just like getting off on it which really that bothered me more than 
anything in the world because she's sick for quite some time, like long enough to be like, I got to get all these dildos out of my closet before my, my sons have to empty the house. Like the writing's on the wall with this lady and she can just clear house and they don't live in the house anyway. They live in their creepy shed and she could just be like, I need to get rid of everything. And then if she did that and then they're still going through stuff and then they find evidence later, that's different. But she left it all there on purpose, which is so effed up that it blows my mind that you could do that to somebody, mm-hmm. especially, especially after you were given a clean slate, essentially with, with one of them, I just cannot wrap my head around the thought process behind her. Yeah. What a monster. What a monster. So Matt, and there we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the exciting time on the show where we both realize, Oh, this was going to be a quick episode and now it's late again. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's time for our movie ranking list, and I watched something. It follows. I'm going to put this in my number 33 spot underneath Upgrade, but above Descent. I'm going to give it three stars and a total recommend. Excellent. So in mine, I am going... The highest one from this week is going to be Official Secrets. I am going to put Official Secrets in between Tremors and Toy Story 4. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, yeah, it's going up up there. there. That's a great movie. And I'm going to give that one four and a half stars. Wow. And that's a no for recommend. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great. And then I want you to skip down just like two spaces and put the Nightingale in between Toy Story 4 and Avengers Endgame. Wow. And we're going to give that one four and a half stars as well. In fact, I'm not quite sure why I even... And put in Toy four and Story Four in between the two, but I'm gonna, yeah, four, four and, and a half, half stars. Yep. Okay. Wow. And then we're gonna go further down between Assassination Nation and Creep Three. We're gonna put Tell Me Who I Am. Okay, that's in your number forty-five spot. And how many stars for that movie? That would be a three. Three stars. Okay. Ooh. Would you recommend it? Huh. I would. I would recommend it to, to anybody who appreciates like documentaries, true life stories, that sort of thing. Okay. And then I would go upwards, back up between the Velocipaster and Overlord and place Ginger Snips, which is getting three and a half stars. And I'm guessing that's a recommend. It is. All right. Did you ever see Ginger Snaps 2? I have never seen any of the sequels. Yeah. I'm curious as to, well... There are things I'm curious about regarding the sequels, but I can't explain why. So, yeah, I'll talk about it later once you've seen Ginger Snips. Okay. All right, Matt, anything for Midwest Matt recommends this week? Well, I'd still like to recommend Get Out to you. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, I recommend you get out, Nick. Now, okay, I'm on my way. And as far as podcast goes, uh, if I haven't recommended it before, I'd suggest even more news. It's by the same people who make the YouTube videos, Some More News, and has two of the hosts of the other one that I've recommended called The Worst Year Ever. So, yeah, if you like staying up on the news, you want to get something weekly that covers a fair amount of information, check it out. All right. And if you want to get in touch with us and tell us what you saw in movies this week, send us an email at thisweekinfilmpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with us on social media. We're all we're on just about all of them. 
You can find information about that on our website, thisweekinfilm.com. Matt, do we have anything else to talk about this week? No, I'm pretty sure that's it. Okay. Well, I guess if that is the end of the reel, we will see you next week. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I have something. Wait. Oh, my God. I've got something. Don't stop recording yet. (laughs) Friend of the show, Ivan. Oh, uh, yeah, I who, who we mentioned uh, a few episodes back. He he's uh, an artist. So he's got a website called IvanDoesThings.com. So check check out his website. He's Find out uh, what he does. He makes he makes logos and icons, and he has also stepped a toe into the podcasting realm with his own show called ivan does a podcast and you can find it on uh, all the regular services podcast sources yeah check out ivan does a podcast he's been quite chatty with us on the internet and we appreciate it and we we wish him we, we wish him <laughs> and we wish him the great ivan thing. does things and nick needs a nap it's so late. <laughs> so I guess if that's really the end of the reel, we'll see you next week in film. And remember, judge movies, not people. I got nothing. <laughs> Thanks for listening. No, 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 no.